Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Now, we'll touch on our very special guest very quickly, but before we get to that, Mitch, where can the good listeners find us? All right, so we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page, and we're also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Which is great because we have a lot of spare time. So if you get bored or if you've got a rugby opinion, find us on there. Now, this episode is special because with us this evening is Sarah Nagama. Sarah has already graced the Pick and Drive crew with her presence before for a live episode. But for those that missed that episode, Sarah is a Wallaroo, a TV presenter, a rugby connoisseur. She's never lost a match of Super W, ever. And on top of all of that, has overtaken Goog as everyone's favourite lock on the Stan Sport Network. Sarah, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? Good, Rev. Thank you so much for that uh, That intro. It was really, really impressive. Uh, no, look, to be fair, I'm well. I'm currently in Sydney. Life is good down here in New South Wales. We've just entered our second week of freedom. And boy, uh, it feels good just to be around, you know, family, friends, being able to dine out. It's, it's, it's nice to be in this state, literally. <laughs> <laughs> That's nearly the most impressive thing is that it's week to a freedom and we're not recording this from Coogee Pavilion. Like you're inside, you're, there's no, you know, there are no drinks. I around. may this have is... been in Coogee Pavilion last night, but that's not a story for another time. I'm here to talk about rugby. Yes, this is the PG version of the show. So we will cover something aside from that. We're going to go through the state of the women's game at the moment. We're also going to look at the Australian versus Japanese match and review that. Uh, we'll review the USA versus New Zealand game and just have a bit of a look at uh, some of the merit to that match being on, as well as covering our spring tour predictions, what we think would be a good outcome for the Wallabies as they progress through Europe. And lastly, any listener questions we will touch on as well. So Mitch, I'll throw to you because you missed out on the live episode and you must have just a mountain of questions to get through for Sarah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So it's very exciting to have Sarah with us tonight. And I will just also let everyone know that Ando can't join us tonight. He does have some family things happening. So we might have a few podcasts without Ando for the next few weeks, but we'll do the best we can without him. But we'll, um, we'll, it'll still be good and we'll still get the content out to all our fans. High pressure. Uh, so, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Pick and Drive tonight. So we did have so many questions and a lot of excitement from fans uh, when we had you on our Pick and Drive a few weeks ago. But we wanted to give you an opportunity and pick your brains a little bit more in the podcast world around the women's game and what's kind of happening there. You've got some big competitions coming up. Uh, so first of all, where where we, we know the Rugby World Cup, Women's Rugby World Cup is due to be played in 2022 in New Zealand. Where is your preparation as the Wallaroos currently at? And where is this competition sort of in the planning process? Yeah, so with the Wallaroos, as you know, we've been in an extensive lockdown here in New South Wales. So we've been training, kid you not, maybe like three weeks after Super W ended, which was back in July. No, end of June, sorry. Super W ended. So we had about a two-week break and then we hit the ground running with Wallaroos training. So from then, all throughout lockdown, we've been training out of Rugby Australia. So 
although it was disappointing to have World Cup moved and test matches were being cancelled left, right, centre, camps had fat question marks um, all over it, we continue to train and you know that's definitely the mindset for all of us certainly myself that even though we might not have fixtures that are in sight training is very much habitual for a lot of us so you know you'll find us at training Monday Wednesday out of rugby Australia you know I work closely with Emily Chaster because we both work for Sydney Uni Sports so you know we're still clocking out conditioning sessions throughout the week and then Saturday we all get together and we do a conditioning session so you know the the cancellations around our games this year have been hugely, hugely disappointing and have affected us um, in, in very different and personal ways. But, you know, the fact that we're coming close to the end of 2021 and can set our sights on a huge 2022 calendar um, is, is exciting for us in a way. Like it's, it's, it's almost like a new day for us. And we're very much looking forward to it. Before we even get to the World Cup, like there are a few things that we believe as a squad we need to tick. And like Rugby Australia acknowledge that we need to be together as much as possible, playing as much test footy as we can. The last time that we had a full test schedule was back in 2019 and we had four fixtures. So if you can think about that heading into a World Cup year, like that's not necessarily the best preparation and, you know, everyone around the game can acknowledge that. So for us right now, collectively as a group, we are we are training. We very much have our sights set on 2022, but God willing, we can just all come to fruition and we can play the football that, that we deserve to play just like the Wallabies currently do. And just with uh, the Rugby World Cup, obviously one of the things that's probably the most exciting is knowing part of the pool and your pool is the only one that still has one member left to play. So firstly, how excited are you to be able to test yourself against Wales and New Zealand? And is there one of the repercharge uh, teams that you'd like to play uh, in particular, whether it's Kazakhstan, Scotland, Samoa or Colombia? I think like we're in a really tough pool. Like our pool I think is tough and I can definitely acknowledge the opponents that we have there. Um, but that's exactly what you want. You want to be able to play the best of the best. And I think the teams in our pool will give us that challenge and really allow us to test where we stand as a squad um, in terms of the world, you know, the world of rugby. Um, in terms of the other teams that we'd like to see there, I'd really like to see Samoa get in there. Um, you know, I am a proud Pacific Islander and I just love being able to see other Pacific nations thrive. They too, like us, we had test matches lined up against the Monosina earlier this year, but due to COVID that was cancelled. And I have some friends who um, have either been a part of that squad or had their sights set on being included in the squad, just to be able to you know, put the jersey on and be able to represent. And I just would love to see someone like Samoa, or sorry, a country like Samoa be included. So tough pull, but so keen, so, so keen. <laughs> And uh, with the preparation for the World Cup, do you have any tests lined up before 2022 kicks off? Uh, no. I wish I, I wish this would be like, if, if, if I did, like this would be, you heard it here first, like yeah. a pick and drive podcast. Right. Um, but no, we don't. We did have a meeting last week with Rugby Australia. It was like all players and staff on board. And we did have a camp scheduled for 20, oh, sorry, for December. Mm -hmm. However, it's really hard to get all of our girls into one state, particularly for our Queensland girls. Like they can get out, but it'd be really hard for them to get back in. So there was talk about having remote camps, like one for Queensland, one for New but that defeats the purpose of us being together, being able to train after a year of having to miss out. So we've called that and set our sights on hosting it in January. So, you know, fingers crossed that all comes to fruition because, yeah, I mean, like time's ticking. Like this time next year, we will be in New Zealand playing a World Cup. So, yeah. 
And does that also mean that the focus now for the Wallaroos is, and we've seen a little bit of this on social media, but pre-season for Super W next year before sort of thinking about uh, the World Cup, really? Like, are you... Yeah. I mean, with COVID, as you said, everyone's stuck in their own states. You can't come together as a unit like the the Wallabies can. So Mm. is it really about let's do our own thing, let's focus on Super W first, and then we'll come together as a unit second half of 22? Yeah, you know, that makes it, that's exactly the, the perspective of Rugby Australia and, you know, each of the respect uh, the state teams. For us, as I mentioned, we've been training out of Rugby Australia as a Wall of Roos squad. Well, this is this will be our second last week there, and then we transition um, the 8th of November. We start pre-season with the Warriors High, so we see our extended squad come together. So we'll get, like, a huge six- to seven-week block and then they'll announce their squad. So each school, like each state will announce their Super W squad for 2022. We shift into that. So that'll take us up to about March. So from to March, that will be the focus. And Super W will be super crucial for Rugby Australia, particularly as you guys know, we have a new co- head coach appointed to the side. So that will also be his opportunity to see players and vice versa, players to make themselves be seen um, because that is the ultimate breeding ground for the Wallaroos. There are other factors, you know, that, that come into play, but that would be a huge, huge opportunity for Joss to put their hands up and, and be seen, like including ourselves, like no one is ever secure in a squad. You guys know that better than anyone else. So, um, yeah, like the the how Rugby Australia put it to us, and I think it's, it's right, is, okay, we can acknowledge that we haven't had the year that we wanted with the Wallaroos, but... We now have Super W coming up, so it's time to shift gears, focus on that, because that is our next big thing, and it's our premier competition in the in the country, right? So, yeah, it's uh, it's just crazy to think, like, I just feel like I've been training this whole time with, like, no games. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, another preseason, I'm done. Another yo-yo. <laughs> I swear I'm not improving. <laughs> it's hard. But, like, it's hard with no game time. Yeah, it, it is. And, like, that is that is precisely the, the challenge, right? Like, you're training, you're training, you train, but there's no outlet to express. So, um, yeah, it'll be good for Super W to come back around again. It's just crazy how quick it comes around. And for those who aren't aware of, like, this year's Super W was a, a bridged format. It was played over, what, four rounds in, in the goal, um, Coffs Harbour. What's the plan for 2022? Is it expanded and back to its kind of regular home and away? Yes, it is. It is returning to what it once was. So it'll be like a six-week season, which is a lot better than playing jam-packed like games back to back over a two-week period like it yeah. felt like that um so that'll be good and there'll be some home and away fixtures and um I believe there's I don't even know if I'm going to say this but it's not anything crazy but the like our matches will also be lined up with some of the super rugby matches cool. which I think is really really freaking cool because yeah. while there is a lot of merit in having standalone matches for the women's I also think there's a lot of power in having like a combined or unified image of like when the Waratahs men and the Waratahs women are both playing like a double header um or you know Queensland men's like it just does huge stuff for the game so um I'm really I'm really looking forward to that just to just to like be around the club and then be around the boys and be like oh yeah that's right like we're all fighting for the same thing here yeah one of the things just before we get into some more of the Super W chat is I think one of the exciting things for the Wallaroos is that obviously a large chunk of it is made up from the Waratahs team. And that does help. <laughs> I mean, as a Queenslander, I'm upset, but it does help with that cohesion. It makes sense though, it, right? They're it makes team. a lot of sense. I mean, they haven't lost a match. So, I mean, I Do you guys follow Pig Athletic Club? Yeah. <laughs> they're freaking hilarious, but they, 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 um, <laughs> some good bands, they're like, yeah, the New South Wales Wallaroos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and look, honestly, it makes sense because the results <laughs> speak for themselves. But it's the one thing I think actually helps the team a lot because I think it's a massive step for the Rugby World Cup for next year that um, instead of the regular uh, quarterfinal setup where it's a bit like the sevens and you have the um, ninth to twelfth and fifth to eighth and all that, they've actually gone for the quarterfinal structure where first can play eighth. And it kind of gives everyone a chance to get through, even if the pool stage isn't, you know, um, as ideal, it gives you a bit more time to gel throughout the competition. Mm. So do you see that as a bit of an advantage for the Wallaroos? Yeah, I, I absolutely do see it. And sorry, just to confirm, you're talking about the... Um, the World Cup. Uh, but yes, the World Cup. Yeah, the World I, Cup. Sorry, yeah. yeah, sorry. I was like, there's a number of competitions happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a huge... It's a huge step in the right direction, right? Like sometimes yeah. you know that your work's already cut out for you depending on how your team has has fared throughout a campaign. But the fact that even the best teams could verse some of the teams that haven't performed as strongly is huge. And, you know, we currently sit fifth in world rankings. Um, I stand corrected, it's either fifth or sixth, but I'm certain it's fifth. Yeah, um, so, you know, the fifth. fact, yeah, it's fifth. Like, that's that's huge. Like, you you want to know that you still have an opportunity to, to show out. And sometimes, you know, like, and, I'm, and this is a very low example, but, you know, when you're at, like, a sevens comp and then, you're like, coming towards the end, you know that your team haven't done well and you're kind of like, oh, well, this is just, like, just a piss game, like, whatever, no one cares about it. What that does is it makes everyone believe that every match counts. And when you're playing at like a, at a, at a world-class stage, like that's what you want. You want to know that every match counts because no one's sacrifice to get there or no one's effort to get there is more than the other, you know? So I just think that it really evens out the playing field and for a team like the, like the Wallaroos, it's huge. But, you know, you could ask the number one team like England and they'll say the same thing. It's huge. Yeah. Um, so no, I think it's it's a it's a positive step and one in the right direction. I think that was the thing that I just because uh, looking at the pool initially when I saw that we we're with New Zealand, I was like, well, that's pretty tough to be up against, you know, one of the best teams, you know, and in the Wallaroos, <laughs> you know, it, it is a tough fixture. And in the old competition, like it just means you don't get a chance to be in that top yeah. four. Where the Wallaroos, I see, is one of the top four teams. So I, I think it's a much better way to actually get that opportunity. Mm. But before we get to that, New Zealand have done something great and announced their own version of Super W with the Super Rugby Alpiki, which is great for the 2022 season um, because it gives you know a lot of the players a chance to you know actually play for the province and see if they can push for higher honours. So, um, Sarah, how do you see this competition going and how does it compare to Super W? How do I see it going? I think it's going to be a huge success. You know, you think about the time that they're launching, their the dates aligned with when Super Rugby, sorry, Super W competition in Australia will launch. And you think about it in the terms of like women's rugby, we're getting into a World Cup year and you have two nations and the trans has been like having this premium comp, sorry, I can't even speak I'm having like <laughs> standard deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> But you have like these two nations who are really strong and can produce like really strong talent playing at the same time. Like I think that is the great, the greatest launch pad you could give the game heading into a World Cup year as well. And I am, um, you know, I've I've had some conversations um, with some of the girls that are being involved in um in in that competition, and they're so excited. You know, we saw last year the Blues and the Chiefs have a one-off test match. I'm uh, not a test match, a one-off uh, match, the women's, and that was it. Yeah. But then. You know, it's crazy to think that they're only launching their Super W next year when Australia has been at it for the past four years. And then you look at New Zealand's results and both on the 7th and 15th front, they rank 
like within the top two, if not at the top. So it's crazy to think that it's only happening now, but it's it, it's it's never too late. Like it's better now than never, right? And they have so much talent in New Zealand, and the results speak for itself. Like, you, so I think it's 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 huge what they're doing over there, and the fact that they're also contracting players. We're not there yet as Australia, so I think that's a learning curve from us. And you know, you look at the both structures, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from each other. Um, you know, Australia now being four years deep into the competition when we hit 2022 or fifth year, actually. Um, you know, and then from them, they, they can certainly learn from us. But in the same regard, like something like them contracting players, that's something that we could learn too. Um, so you know, every step is 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 one that needs to be taken at this point, but I'm really, really excited to see what they can produce because I just know that whenever a New Zealand team gets the opportunity to, to do something like this, they thrive. Mm. Um, and that's, and, and, and so does Australia. So it's just cool to see that, you know, two nations that are such strong rivals are going to equal lengths to see this, to see our great game, you know, be sustained and be exposed and to also showcase the players who give so much to play this game is, is such a fitting reward. And I can't wait to see how they do it, but I'm so excited to support it. Like just more girls playing footy. How good. <laughs> so when you, you were just mentioning then about contracted players. So for those who don't actually understand, does that mean that they're fully professional? Yeah, so they, they will. So right now, it's just the W. We yeah. don't we don't get any payments um, for for playing. And but to be you know, on the flip side of that, like everything else is fully paid for us. Like we don't have to put our hands into our pockets to to play as you would for club. Yeah. Um, however, with the the Super WL Picky, they are contracting their place to pay them. I don't necessarily believe that means they're taking them out of work like full time, so that they can just live and breathe the competition and prep. Um, as you would as a professional, as a full-time, um, but they're certainly paying their players um, to be able to participate in the competition, mm. which I think is a, it's a huge step. And it's Massive step great. forward. Yeah. Huge, huge. So, yeah, it's, um, it's fabulous. And, you know, like I said, you've got two nations who are, who are quite progressive and you can only learn from each other and, and build a product that everyone is, is happy to be a part of. And so we've got Super W in Australia. Uh, this is the first year that New Zealand are doing their their version. I, I'm I'm gonna butcher the name, so I'm just gonna stick away from it. But um, what do do you see a, a crossover competition similar to the men's being a thing in the next maybe like how long do you think it'll be before we get something like that? In short, yes. Like we should be playing. If those conversations aren't happening of how we can combine our competitions, they bloody should be because if the if you know, if the men can do it, and this is like my argument with everything, <laughs> if you can do it for the men, you can do it for the women. Mm -hmm. um, and it would just be such, like, could you imagine what it would be like, particularly for like us girls here, for the New South Wales Waratahs, you know, shamelessly, we've dominated the Super W competition that we're also kind of like, well, we're kind of looking for a challenge too. Of, you know, how do we stay engaged and how do we stay motivated? Um, being able to expand the competition and putting us up against different oppositions not only challenges us but challenges everybody challenges yeah. super rugby or picky it challenges super rugby australia to to be the best that you can be because you're constantly being exposed to that level of competition as well like there's something about playing against other nations where you realize the way that like their pace at their play you know the, their their flair like it's so different to what you're just so used to you kind of know like yeah and it's you know the structure is the same like one three three one 
I kind of pick up, like, I don't know if I'm against Queensland Reds, I know that, you know, Chrissy, she'll take one look and if the offload's not there, she's going to tuck it and run. So you just got to close your eyes and hope for the best. Like you, you familiarise yourself with the players, but, you know, if we were able to expand the competition to New Zealand, not only does it, you know, constantly expose us um, to different players, it's challenging, but it also makes our game a lot more competitive. And I think there's this really dead argument um, within society of like, oh, women's game doesn't give you like have enough commercial gain, blah, blah. Like not only is that wrong, but you show, like you put us on screens and people get to watch us, they actually begin to, they start to respect us even more. Um, and I think that's like a really, really big part in, in being able to see our game go to the next level is yeah, expose us. But at the same time, when you do that, you also gain the public's respect. Um, and then gone are the days of, oh, girls don't bring up enough money in for them to have their own standalone matches. Or yeah, that's why the Wallaroos don't travel at the same time the Wallaroos because like they just can't put bums on seats. Well, we can only do that if you expose us. So yeah, it's like, look, I could go on for days about that thing, but <laughs> in short, I can just, I can see so much promise and so much benefit in, in combining the two competitions because they are, I like see them, not that I necessarily place them on a pedestal, but I see them as, as, as a nation that I would love to compete with um, or teams in it week in and week out throughout a regular super season. And I think the addition to Stan helped that so much. Like just seeing so many of the fixtures this year, even for people that might not have been able to get out to the grounds. So like I know having gone to see some of them at Bottomley Park for East, like there's some great competition going, but like for people that just want to watch good quality games, like, oh, like this is, I've got access to this all weekend. Like why aren't I watching this? Or where have I been the last five years? And I guess just to tie into if, you know, if the men's game are doing it, should the women's as well. One of the things that struck me was during the NRL final season, every fan I knew was saying, how come we don't have Trebojevic or Tedesco or, um, I'm blanking on his name now, uh, Latrell Mitchell in the Wallabies. Like, where are we getting um, these superstars from? Is there a feeling in uh, the Wallabies as well that you're still looking to get players from NRLW? Or do you think that now we've got a bet of talent that you think, no, we can just pick within. We've got the uh, talent here to, you know, progress all the way through the World Cup. That's a really interesting point. Like, I've never really thought of it that way. But from my perspective as a player, I feel like NRL are asking for our players as opposed to rugby union asking That's for the way players. Yeah. yeah. The way that it seems is the way that I feel it as well. Okay. Um, like I, I could name off girls who have chosen league or have, who have been approached by league to, to take up the, the NRLW season, but I don't necessarily think that rugby union is reaching out to rugby league girls being like, Hey, come, come try our code um and that speaks volumes of the level of talent that we have in our pool yeah. um it's growing and sometimes it is challenging like you know finding people for certain positions that you know have certain characteristics is something that you know every every coach every code kind of struggles with but in as far as I'm concerned we are very much staying within our pool and I think that's like you sh it should be that way. You should be able to nurture your talent because the you know participation numbers have rise over the past couple of years. So if that's the thing, use it. <laughs> Don't go asking for things that you already have. And if you already have it, make it better. Perfect. And, and that's the way it seems as well is that seemed to be completely silent. I'm like, is there something the men's side is just doing wrong because like everyone's clamoring mm. for these NRL players and I don't hear the same in the women's game which speaks volumes about the depth at which Super W has progressed I think yeah yeah the last thing just because I'm interested I'm sure the listeners are as well in your years of Super W and playing for the Wallaroos in Australia who is the hardest person to tackle 
That's a good question. Um, two people come to mind because they're like equal for me. Chrissy Sakona, uh, she's a, uh, the number three prop from Queensland. She's very, she's so strong. She's very strong. And like, basically, like you can watch games and, you know, she'll take the ball into contact. There's about six of us hanging off her, trying to get it down. Like she's just that kind of powerful runner. Yeah. Um, and equal to her would be Eva Carpani. She's she's a big girl, but she can hold her own and she has pace like a back. Um, and it makes it very, very scary when you're on the receiving end of uh Oh, no, sorry, you're in her channel and you know that you have to defend her. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> those, those two girls, they just, like, nothing to do with their size, just more their, their power. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it really sucks when you're on the receiving end of Eva's <laughs> uh, palms. So, no, but, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're sensational humans too, so love them. <laughs> and how good is that that they'll be on your team as well? You won't have to be tackling them in the World Cup. They're actually... <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's so funny because, yeah. like, throughout club season, like, I can only speak more so to, to Eva in club season. I'm like, yeah. oh, I hate when we have to go up against Miranda because I'm like, I'm just, she, like, she just gives me hell. And we also, like, have, like, really mad banter as well. Um, but then when it comes to, like, Wall of Rose and then, you know, Christy comes in as well, I'm like, I'm just, like, so happy you're on my yeah. team and, like, I don't have to play against you. Like, you tackle them. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, they're cool. That's awesome. If we look, um, oh, did you have something else you wanted to say? No, I was just going to say if you had uh, one more question before you get into the review. Yeah, so uh, past the Women's World Cup in 2022, uh, World Rugby's announced their WXB Global Competition, which is coming, mm. I think, from memory, it starts 2023. Yes. Yep, cool. So first of all, maybe I'll get you to give us a brief overview of what that competition is. But the question I want, uh, I want to put to you is, what do you think this competition, the effect it will have firstly on the Wallaroos, but on the wider rugby public? Yes, big question, loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, a loaded question on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, I couldn't tell you too much about the global competition in, in the sense of like the, the structure, um, yeah. but what I can definitely say is that it's a, it's a massive step forward for the women's game. You know, the fact that there is... Uh, an organization like World Rugby who basically commissioned everything in our game, um, setting a standard of like, I want to speak to the, the test structure in particular for this. The fact that they're like saying as a minimum, these nations have to play six test nations um, or have six test match in a year is freaking huge for our mm -hmm. game, right? You look at the current Wallaroo structure, our last test season was in 2019 and we had four fixtures. We didn't have one last year and then now this year, oh yeah, sorry, we didn't have any games this year. Looking forward to 2022, we'll kind of get that fixed. The fact that we'll have like this calendar that we have to abide by because that is the rule, you can say, is so huge for our game because then it also gives us a lot of reassurance in our calendar, it gives us a lot of reassurance that what we're putting in, we'll also be able to get out. And, you know, as a Wallaroo, particularly like having gone through the stuff that we've gone through in the past couple of years, I can't say enough like how satisfying it is to know that the bigger powers at play can acknowledge that we deserve a test season just like the boys do. And even in the midst of COVID, we've been able to see the Wallabies have their rugby championships. You know, we saw them play in Japan last night and, you know, they're about to launch on the European leg of their, of their spring tour. And we're kind of at home and our biggest thing is we can't get our girls into the same state. But the fact that you have someone like World Rugby who are like, well, no, this will be the bare minimum that we can give our girls is so promising for our game. And, you know, from Africa to Australia, you'll have girls playing test matches 
um, I should have said girls, like you'll have, you'll have women playing test matches will only increase the, not only increase the exposure of our game, but also like, just imagine the amount of eyes that'll be on us. Like Constance, like, oh, like you, you can't necessarily remember when the roller is last played or when they're going to play next, but this calendar ensures that we play tests every single year you'll be across you know you'll be able to say that oh the wallabies and the wallaroos are both on a spring tour not being like it's one or the other mm. so you know it's, it's a unified calendar and a calendar that benefits absolutely everybody because it ensures that you get the rugby that you deserve to play like wallaby has had you know 13 more chances to chuck on a jersey this year to my zero over the past two mm. <laughs> so you know like that's it's like it's it's like it's not not complacency or anything like that. It's just like all right, let's just let's just call a spade a spade. Like it is what it is, right? Like let's let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the number of test appearances. So it's it's huge, and I just I'm I'm so excited to see something like this happen. And it's a huge credit to all the women that have gone before us, all the administrators that have gone before us, because no doubt they would have been talking about this in years gone by about oh, how can we enhance this game? Oh, you know, we should do it. And now it's like, well, it's written in paper and it's like it's commissioned by World Rugby because they're the ones that are putting this forward. So everyone will benefit for Sorry, everyone will benefit from it. And I think, like you said, for the average rugby fan who wants to support the Wallaroos but maybe doesn't know when they're playing, will have a schedule to know when the Wallaroos are playing, but will also know that they're in a competition and their results matter. They go towards yes. something. Every for match the past counts. Few years, it's been great to see the Wallaroos play, but they always they seem to be like either one-off tests or uh, two or three tests at a time. But they don't seem to have an overall competition. So it'll be great for just the average rugby fan to be able to watch the Wallaroos and really track how they're going in this competition. Yeah. yeah. To know that when they win, they move up the table and they have a chance of winning a trophy. Yeah. Um, which is like what we the Wallabies play, and they win something most of the time. Hmm. Um, so it's great to have that like well there, there's a trophy <laughs> yeah that's revisionist yeah. history <laughs> there's a trophy to be won we don't yeah. always win it particularly yeah. when they're playing New Zealand but it'll be great that there will be a, a trophy for the Wallaroos to win as well I love what you said there like just touching on a point like that every match counts and that's very much um, been the nature of our test matches it's like you know we have our test against New Zealand um, and they're like there's two tests and uh, the name slips to me for Lauren Lauren O'Reilly Cup um, and when it's like if you win one like if you win those tests but like that's that and that that's gone but like you said like it just gives it gives continuity in our competition and it becomes like this draw that everyone wants to follow because they're so deeply engaged because there's consistency like you get to see us because you'll just know oh, okay we're we'll running around the girls are about to hit like the road and they're going to go on their spring tour or whatever it is like it's just it's so cool to know that like our game will be there and there is a slight or possible chance that I you know, God willing, I'm still playing, then I could play a part in that as well. Yeah, so sure. it's just really, it's just really cool to see that like that's where our game is tracking towards. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's pretty promising. Mm, it's really exciting. I'm just thinking on that. I think the best way is when the Wallaroos get the Lorna Rally Cup, everyone's going to be like, oh, Wallabies can't get the blood as low. Let's just follow, <laughs> <laughs> Let's follow the Wallaroos. I mean, we haven't got it yet. So like fingers yeah. crossed it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that seems like a good way to um, segue into our review of the games uh, from the weekend. So, Mitch, did you want to run through some of the points from that Japan versus Australia game? Yeah, definitely. So, for those who did miss the game last night, the Wallabies played their first leg of the spring tour against Japan in Japan. They came away 32-23 victors. 
But I think we're all sort of sitting here thinking that it wasn't quite as easy as we were probably hoping for moving into this into this game. Japan really asked some big questions of the Wallabies and some decisions maybe didn't go quite our way. So um, great test match overall. We do we want to go look dive into the stats at all? Or should we just dive into like the conversation? Oh yeah, I I would love to get into the stats. Well, I think one of the big things, if we are going to go stats heavy, this is exciting. I, you know, as a maths teacher, I was ruling that out as an option. Let's get into the numbers. Um, the nicest thing I think was Wallaby's defense. So the missed tackles, I think we had about four or five. It was really solid defense. And you know, the fact that uh, Japan managed to score 23 points in spite of that is a concern. You know, we've got to look at how we're conceding. But the Wallabies show that they can really just get their one-on-one set. They cover really well. And that's a massive thing when we look at how they went against New Zealand at the start of the year. So I think that's a great step. Um, the big set really, and this is the optimistic view, is we take it as a five tries to two win uh, with one of the tries, Japan score being an intercept. So it's really solid. Um, the kicking sort of let us down a bit. Quaid, I think it is eight from eight against South Africa. And I said, that's it. That's the history book's done. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to kick any more kicking, goals. Kicking practices off, boys. I'll just do it when I need it. Um, so that, that made a big difference. But I think the nice thing was the clean breaks. I'll get up the exact number, but um, nine clean breaks with 21 defenders beaten. It's nice attacking play when I consider we didn't really look to expand the ball that well. Um, my mates, as we were watching it, we sort of noted we were doing a lot of short side plays. We seemed to go sort of maybe mm. one in and then just straight back out. Um, so the fact that we're still able to beat a few defenders without really testing defenses, um, I thought was a pretty good sign, um, especially when you take out Karevi, our best crash ball option. Corin Betty, our hardest runner. Um, Harry Wilson, who's my favourite player and hasn't been anywhere near the squad for a while. <laughs> like We've just got so many people that I think we didn't have our battering rooms, yet we still were able to be quite um, yeah. good in, in attack. So they're probably the main stats I want to cover now. Um, you know, if you really want to hear me run off some numbers, hit me up on Twitter. But um, <laughs> I, I think that was, that was a nice bit to look at, um, just stat-wise. And Sarah, what do you see as one of the key factors in this Wallabies victory over Japan? I think it was simple. I think it was their attacking flair. Uh, the Rev alluded to the idea that they didn't really play that, you know, they were missing some really key players. And you look at someone like Sam McCrow, who works so well outside of Quade Cooper, he's missing. But the depth in the squad right now to be able to hold themselves against um, a side like Japan, who, you know, dare I say, they competed with them right to the, to the last minute um, of the match. So I think it really came down to the attacking flair. Their, the ability to just keep the ball alive, you know, you look at Falau Fanger, he tips the ball from the back, sends it out to Nick White, makes its way from one side of the field to the other, and then you see Jordan Patai cross the line. Like, that speaks volumes of the fact that these boys can keep the ball alive, and it doesn't necessarily mean you just have to be a back. Everyone has the ability to throw the ball. I, I found it really, really crazy how Matt Phillip um, threw that ball. Like, it was like this crazy... Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was, like, really... Really impressive because I'm like, I couldn't even do that. <laughs> he had so much space. Like, I would have naturally just tucked the ball and tried to like go because he had the space in front of him. But I mean, kudos to him to be able to get it out wide. So yeah, look, it wasn't, it wasn't the most, it wasn't the fanciest game, but they did the small things well and, and that um, ensured the win in the end. And Rev, uh, did you think that the absence of Karevi seemed to impact the Wallabies more than we potentially were hoping it would leading into this game? Yeah, I, I think a lot of us were hoping that Hunter Paisami would um, fill into the shoes quite seamlessly. And his form from Super Rugby did imply he definitely can. Um, I don't think it's helped that he's 
had to switch between 12 and 13. And, you know, under the Wallabies, I think he's maybe had one game before where he started with Ikatao. A lot of the time he was sort of coming off the bench for Tamua or uh, he'd start at 13 and then they'd shift across. So it really hasn't been the best preparation for him. Um, but the biggest thing is, Quaid normally has so much time and space because Grevy sucks into defenders. Mm. So there's all this space at the back that, you know, we can just do whatever with because Grevy is just a magnet. Um, Paisami is, I think, about 15 kilos lighter. He's at least four inches shorter. It does make a difference. He's a damaging runner, but when people are looking at him, they're not thinking, okay, we've got to like triple mark him. They're thinking, okay, well, watch for the option, but, you know, there's also so-and-so out back. Um, so that, that did make a difference, I think, for especially our Japanese defences, just reading what to do. And um, I've just had a mind blank his name. Hodge. Reese Hodge came off 15 minutes with an arm or, or a shoulder injury. A shoulder. Yeah. I haven't heard yet the extent of that. I do. I have heard that he's travelling with the team to Europe. We don't know if he'll get okay. much more game time this year. But but that that created a shift in the back line. So we saw Kellaway move to fullback with Jordan Pattaya come onto the wing. How did we think both Pattaya and Kellaway played? First of all, Kellaway at fullback and Pattaya on the wing. Um, Sarah, what were your thoughts around that positional change? I really rate Kellaway, to be honest. Like, I think he's such an asset to the Wallabies. Like, his ability to not only run the ball, but to just be quite tricky around the ruck as well, I think is is, is a great skill to have. And he has a really strong kicking game. I mean, I i can't say I know everything about it, but I've definitely seen pics from the Wallabies Instagram stories, and the boys got a bit of a nudge on him. Um, but no, I, I definitely rate him, and I think his defence, like, for me, when you're looking at a fullback, yes, it's one thing to be able to attack, but your defensive effort as well. And he's someone that you know you can trust to be there or to be that last line of defense. So I, I back that. And for Pataya, like he didn't get a lot of time throughout rugby championships. He was excluded a fair bit. So I think he's now got his first, you know, solid crack, I think, at being able to ensure a jersey every single week. I think the next step is just ensuring that he he's in the starting 15, because I, I believe that he belongs in, in your starting 15. Um but I think he's got so much to show to us because, again, he was starved with so much game time while he was on home soil, dare I say, also in his home state. So that would have been a bit of a, a fire in the belly for him. So I rate it. And if they were to, to choose that again for their next starting 15, like having Kelwet 15 and Jordan on the wing, like I'd back it. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Pataya. I've, I've been a bit vocal on this podcast in the past that he hasn't had enough game time this year. and. Yeah with through injury or just not getting selected. So it was great to see him come on with majority of a game to play and came out, first of all, without an injury, but had some really good and nice touches. As the uh, Queensland Reds fan, Rev, how did you find (laughs) him? Do you still think that he needs to be playing on the wing or would you have liked to maybe see him shift into fullback? Yeah, this one was really tough because I... At the start of the season, saw him as a right winger. I thought he had the skill set to sort of match. He's got the outright speed, um, but he's also agile. He can finish really well, and he's great in the air. So I thought with a kicking fullback, he suits that game plan really well. Um, the challenge now is no one has really been groomed to play fullback. Um, Rennie hinted that Pataia would be the fullback in the Barbarians match, which is a big indicator. But the fact that he's had two opportunities to put him there and Kellaway's gotten back there, I think, mm. probably speaks mm. louder to the fact that Kellaway's skill set is so good. Um, I really don't mind who they put at fullback out of the two options. I do think that between Wright, uh, Kellaway, Pattaya, and Dungunu, any of those four could be in the starting wing position. And probably except for Dungunu, I mean, even he's got a bit of a skill set for it, but any of them could nearly play fullback as well. It's really just going to be trying to get that sort of hierarchy set 
Um, and I don't think many people probably know who best suits that fullback position. It's really been the Achilles heel at the moment as we just try and find it. I think my preference would be Callaway at the moment um, with Batara on the right wing just because he has spent more time there. Um, but, yeah, I, it, it's hard to say. I, I do just want to mention, when Sarah brought up that Instagram story, Callaway hit that so sweetly off the tee. And it just reminded <laughs> me, if anyone's seen um, Woody Harrelson and White Men Can't Jump, he's just like that guy that goes and hustles people. Like, you see him at the park, he's like, oh, I bet you 20 bucks I can kick it over. They have one look at him, he's like, a winger? No, no way, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that money. Um, yeah, he, he's got a great nudge on him. So I um, I think other options, if he's got the best kick, then maybe that's enough of a default reason to put him at fullback, as mm. shallow as that probably sounds. And if if Hodgie's out for a fair bit of time and isn't able to play on on the rest of the tour, who do you think, if you were Dave Rennie, who would you be bringing in as fullback replacement? Do you look to Europe or do you look at another Brumbies player? Give me some options. I want a multiple choice. <laughs> so the options overseas would be Luke Morahan, Jesse Mogg, Curly Beal, uh, oh. or we could go the young options of Mac Hansen, who just went to Connacht, or Louis Liner, who didn't make the England squad. Mm. Who would you bring in, Rev? Uh, well, I could get to Europe pretty quickly, so I've got a pair of boots. I'd, I'd really put myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been kicking at bugs. I've been, I've been warming up. So yeah, if that's all they need, the, the long range specialist. No. Um, <laughs> I, honestly, for me, I think I would pick Kurtley Beal because he's got the experience. He's been around this team a lot. If we're looking at just cohesion, how many games has he played with O'Connor mm. and Cooper, who are also yeah. on the team? Um, he's most recently been the Wallaby. He's easily got the most caps. Um, I think, as in terms of a natural fullback, he's probably the best bet, given um, Marhan has spent a lot of time on the wing as well, just given Bristol has Charles Beatel. So, for me, it'd probably be Beal. Me too. <laughs> So you wouldn't pick me. No, I'm not making it over. Okay. That's fine. That's look, fine. look, maybe, yeah, look, no, not you. But you know what? You haven't seen me play. You haven't seen me play. I haven't seen you play. Yeah. yeah. But when I come to Queensland, I'll be sure to come and watch a club game. Uh, that'll be interesting because I don't play fullback. <laughs> what? Players are playing out of position? It's okay. No. It's a Wallaby staple. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Do you... Do you at all see Rennie potentially bringing in Lewis Liner to try and cap him against potentially England um, and and get that allegiance early? Uh, that's probably a bit of a, a dickish move for mm. Rennie. I don't think he'd do that. I think um, he does want to reward people that are in Australia first and foremost, if there's the options, yeah. or at least have the intention. So off that merit, you'd have to say it's either Beal because of his history with the Wallabies or Jesse Mogg because his intent is to come back to the Brumbies if he's not already in Canberra, I haven't checked that, but um, I'd say it's probably one of those who just based off those two factors. Did mm. we mention Luke Morahan? Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay, cool. I know, I know that's Ando's favorite. He's been yeah. calling that for weeks. So <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in there for Ando. He's definitely worth a mention. I think Chrissy Doran uh, poo pooed him today, but um, he's definitely worth a mention. So if we continue Rennie's mantra of "we just need to be better." Rev, I'll throw this question to you first. What do you think will be the key areas for improvement for the rest of the tour and which players in the Japan game stood out to you? Um, for me, I think the area we need to be better is making smarter decisions with the ball. Um, 
I think the game plan was a little different because it was Japan. I don't think we probably treated them like it was the game against Scotland, England or Wales. There were so many times where I thought, okay, this is the time where we'd put a box kick up and just try and chase that, you know, put them under a bit of pressure. But instead we were doing a few plays that looked very, um, very different for a Wallabies side. So I think just getting back to our basics of, all right, let's have a few good phases, use our strike uh, runners to actually get the ball up and then put them under pressure. Because one of the things I noticed was, Isaac Rodder had a lot of carries. Um, oh. Hooper had a few, but we weren't giving the ball to Valentini or Tupo or any of our bigger, you know, more damaging runners. Even um, Matt Phillip was looking for the offload, as you were saying before, Sarah. Like there was a lot of gameplay where I thought this isn't the way we've been playing. It's not really a very direct um, style of game, which probably would have worked relatively well against Japan. So yeah. I, I think probably if we're just sort of saving that um, so that the European coaches weren't, you know, sort of, looking at too much of our um, hand before we dealt it. That's probably the the one thing I'd want to tidy up. But Sarah, you, you analyzed the game better than I. What was it <laughs> that you think sticks out um, about the Wallabies? What would you like to see them do a little bit differently? Oh, look, I think if you you can't really say too much off yesterday's game. I mean, they did play it, but they also have had a couple of weeks off. You know, rugby championships, they were able to give us some stellar results week in and week out because there was that continuity, right? So, and, you know, Michael Huber did mention that in his, pre, in his post-game interview that, yeah, look, like they played a really fast game and they really made us fight for it. But I think in order for them to, to really get ahead next week is – to un like not necessarily unleash earlier, but use their strike players earlier. And um, like you said, there were times that we saw some some really spectacular moments of flair from people like Taniela Tupo. I thought Fulal Fenger had a really strong hand in these try assists, but doing that from the outset, like having this mindset of like, we want to score in the first 15 and like really put them under the pump early um, because we know that the Wallabies are well, are, are more capable than ever to, to win test matches. Um, but giving that from the from the get-go, not being like, because I, I don't necessarily think the Wallabies would have taken the, not necessarily take Japan as seriously, but they probably weren't expecting Japan to compete with them as well as they did yesterday. Um, so I think having that mindset of like how they would against the side like the All Blacks, mm -hmm. um, imagine if they had that kind of mindset going against the side like Japan, I think we would have been able to see that that point difference be a lot bigger. Um, so unleash early and and keep it there. And get Tupo in those wider channels more often. Pardon? Good, and get Tupo in the wider channels yeah. more often. How good yes. was that try? It, it was very good. He's actually, he's quite dynamic. For a guy his size that's constantly chewing gum, sometimes I just want to put my hand in his mouth and like rip it and be like, just play. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he certainly can hold his own. Yeah. That's probably a good way to uh, segue. We just had the mention of the All Blacks before and, the All Blacks um, this morning played against USA in what was a real mm. interesting game. Um, it ended up being quite a blowout score. And I think it was 102, 104 to 14. 104 to 14. It's a massive uh, score difference. So, you know, to win by 90 points, it's not really much of a um, contest. We will, I mean, I'm keen to dive into the stats, but before we do Math that. Teacher. <laughs> before we How do many that, tries did they score? That's what I was trying to figure out. 16 tries. 16. Wow. wow. And how many hat tricks? Yeah. Only one. It was okay. just Tarvel? They're just sharing. They're they were sharing. sharing. It was very generous. It was very nice of them. Um, look, while we're talking about the stats, you know, who am I to stop us from going on this roller coaster? <laughs> um, I think the thing that stood out the most looking at the stats, just the attacking numbers from the All Blacks um, were, you know, 
borderline criminal. They had 159 runs, which is a you know, decent amount, but for 1,370 metres, you know, averaging over nine metres per carry, just wow. dumb amounts of momentum. Um, 56 defenders beaten, uh, 26 clean breaks. It's It doesn't make for a pretty reading, especially when you consider like they had more ball, but not a ridiculous amount more. And I think I was trying to tally it up. There was about 10 minutes in the first half where they were just lining up shots at goal just because they were scoring that many tries. So there was so much time that they weren't actually running the ball. It was really efficient in that first half and probably begs a few questions. So I might, um, I guess, throw this one to you first, Sarah. Is this kind of game enjoyable to watch for the average fan? No. Look, simply simply forward, no, like everyone loves watching a competitive game and you want to know that the team that, sorry, the team that you are going for are in it and they're right in the thick of all the action. Um, I think when you're watching as a fan, it becomes a little bit deflating and that's certainly, you know, that would definitely be felt um, by the players on the field. So, you know, for, for the All Blacks fans, that would have been, you know, yes, like this is our boys. And then there certainly would have been a time that they're like, okay, like start filling you with their phones because they know that their boys have, have secured the win. Yeah. But for the opposition and their fans, it would have been, you know, you're kind of like, okay, first half, maybe something can happen in the second half. But as you saw, it was just a complete blowout. So it's never fun for any fan to watch. And it certainly is not fun when you're a player on a side who is being, being as brutal as that. So um, not fun, but again, as I always say, you can only learn from these things, take some hard lessons and hope, Hopefully they can uh, bring that a bit tighter, that score margin. <laughs> That's one of the things that I'll get you to dive into a bit, Mitch, but obviously because it was played outside the um, test window, USA didn't have their full strength team. Um, not that we'd expect them to win with a full strength team, but definitely would have been a bit more respectable and they've got a few more experienced players, including a uh, World Rugby Player of the Year nominee. Um, you know, that, that does help having someone of that experience in the side. Mm-hmm. But for a game like this, Mitch, is there any real benefit to it that you see from either team? Do the All Blacks get anything from this or do the Americans? It's been something I've been sort of wrestling with all day since the result. That First of all, you look at that and you think, well, this, this isn't a game of rugby. We shouldn't be having cricket scores. There's no reason that a team should rack up 100 points against an opposition. And this is the second time this year the All Blacks have done this. So it makes you question why the All Blacks are lining up tests against such weaker opposition. Um, Mm. It definitely doesn't, the people say you need to play the best to be the best, but when the gap is this wide, I can't see the the, uh, USA players taking anything out of this, then that was embarrassing. Uh, I didn't learn anything. I I wasn't doing anything of my basics in that game. I was just getting run around and I maybe made four or five tackles, but they don't learn anything from that. The All Blacks surely didn't learn anything from that. Um, Watching some of the highlights, it almost, I I was sort of finding myself thinking uh, an All Blacks like possibles versus probables game at training would have been more competitive than this game. Mm. So it would be fun to watch. Yeah, we saw that last year with North versus South. So yeah. Um, it just doesn't make sense why we should be having games of this caliber going ahead because particularly with emerging nations like uh, the USA, for fans, like general uh, general sports fans in America who turn this on to maybe don't know a lot about rugby but have heard something because the All Blacks are in town, watch this and think, oh, we're, no, we're not good at rugby. Why do I tune in and watch this sport? So there's a real chance there that we've just lost an opportunity to get 
interest in the game from American viewers who aren't necessarily as accustomed to the sport because it's not as available there. Um, moving forward, I would think it would be much more beneficial to see uh, these sort of tier two nations going up against development teams from the tier one nations. So we're looking at like Maori All Blacks or Australia A. Um, I imagine England's got a similar uh, team. I don't know what their name are, but... Um, Saxons. Is that what they're called, the Saxons? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so something similar where you've got younger, less experienced players from the first tier nations playing against these tier two nations there's more to learn there. Um, it just, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth coming away from this game because it's not fun to watch. It can't be fun for the players. You get to a point where it's almost embarrassing for the players to keep scoring tries. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things is, I think it's been really brought home that this game should have at least been waited until both teams were at full strength um, or at the very least the USA were. But one thing did kind of... Um, make me think that maybe there is something to it for the American side is when the All Blacks were doing the Harker, there was this look on some of the players' faces as the camera pan across, and they were so excited to be a part of the picture. Like, there is something really cool about getting to, you know, play against the best team in the comp and, um, oh, sorry, in the world, um, and just seeing something that is really, like, quite special. Like, the All Blacks Harker is one of the most iconic things in rugby really when you see like that in person and see that sort of circle so there was something nice to it but um i think one of the comments from one of my mates summed it up best which is just there's a reason why i don't arm wrestle against six-year-olds i know i'll win there's no point mm-hmm. and like that did kind of ring true it was like yeah like there was two people doing the same thing and you know participating in the same event but when there's such a golf it didn't really like i, I found myself checking my phone more than probably any other match um this year but we might wrap that up for the time being because we've probably spoken enough about that we'll just quickly finish with what our predictions are for the rest of the tour because we're focused on the world we've got three more exciting games against scotland england and wales so sarah i'll start with you what are you expecting the wallabies to come away with how many wins do you think they'll get and what, what would be a good outcome for them what would be a good outcome for them to win more games than lose would be one that would be so the don't lose one. any. Don't lose any. <laughs> yeah. But like they they have this really strong streak. They have this yeah. really strong streak that they should have a lot of pride of, and no doubt will be a driving factor every week. Being like, boys, we've got to keep it up. Like we can do it. You know, we've we've got the proof that we can do it. Um, how I think they're going to fare against Scotland? I think they will win. I think they'll get uh, pushed a fair bit by England. Um, mm. So I expect that to be really close and tough. Um, and the last one being Wales, they they should win. They should win. <laughs> so, look, all in all, the only reason I feel so confident in the fact that they should win is because their track record tells us that we can be. And, um, you know, they're now back into the swing of being in test footy, travelling. So the bodies are getting used to it. They're back in the mindset for it. So there's really no reason why they can't do it. I like that. Look, I'll very quickly say two wins I'll be happy with, and I don't really mind where they come from because the last time we played all these teams, we lost. So I think any it's win a new, is, It's a new day, Rev. It's a new it's day. A, it's a new day, but I'm still... I'm, <laughs> I've got my maths hat on. I'm just looking back in the future, uh, back in the past too much, sorry. Um, but that might be too pessimistic. So, Mitch, how about you finish it off for us? I really what? wish I could make this decision tomorrow night 
So oh. the media reports that we're going to get the confirmation whether the Japanese-based players are going to be uh, featured for the tour tomorrow. So that means whether we get Samu Karevi, Quade Cooper, and Sean McMahon for the tour. If we don't, that's a massive change of... That changes a lot. That changes a lot. We saw that this week or last night against Japan that without Karevi particularly, we lost a lot of structure. Uh, if we lose Quade Cooper as well, James O'Connor hasn't had a lot of time playing 10, particularly with the centre pairing outside him. So if we've got Quade Cooper, Sean McMahon and Samu Karevi playing, I am confident in saying we get two wins and we probably push England a long way, but it's going to be hard. Uh, if we don't have them, those players, uh, yeah, it's going to be a big, big, uh, big ask, but um, I'd be happy with coming away with two wins still, but maybe even one. Without oh, those God. You both must have been sitting there being like, shut up, Sarah. You have no idea. <laughs> Sarah, we've, we've got audio recordings of other people saying Sarah from three. We're just going to dub that right over the top. Oh, just so, okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Just Thanks. so that we're not the most pessimistic. You know, we've got to make sure. Um, but no, look, I, I think your optimism is right because we are in a great spot. So it would be great to be able to use that momentum. And I think just use that general feeling around rugby to our advantage. But enough about the rugby for now. Sarah, we've had such a great time chatting to you. So thank you very much for coming on and just, you know, enlightening us again about all the things going on in the game, both women and men's, you know, because you're all across it at the moment. Thank you. It was really lovely to join you guys again, talk some code, have a bit of banter. And um, <laughs> let's just see how the, the Wallabies fair throughout the rest of the spring tour and then you know I expect a expect a text at the end of it being like oh, Sarah we should have just backed what you said yeah when we <laughs> when we won all of them oh, we'll yes absolutely humble pie over here for sure <laughs> no I love it thanks fellas for having me it's been fabulous awesome thanks Sarah absolutely oh, loved it. all right see you later crew thanks for tuning in again <laughs>